BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hello, this is the China Sports Insider Podcast. My name is Hyde Ballion and I am with Mark Dreyer, the China Sports Insider himself. Mark, number 50. Woohoo! Number 50, crazy. So listen, today, for number 50, we've got a few special things for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, first of all, we've got the World Cup. China's not in it, but no. there's still some World there Cup is. stuff yes. to talk about. Yes. Uh, we've got some Zhang Weili news, the WTA, and the end of the F1 season and we end with the interview of the century <laughs> with uh, somebody you may have heard of um, talking to you the listener uh, his name is Mark Dreyer and he wrote a book <laughs> earlier this year and he's gonna talk to us about it but Mark strange times in Beijing how are you doing yeah good um, I mean first of all just you know it's it's nice to have done this is as you said the 50th show we've kind of been going uh, for just over a year, we kind of doubled up on a few weeks during the Olympics and skipped a few weeks over the summer. So yeah, roughly, you know, uh, that year. And and, and uh, it's it, it feels almost longer than that, just in terms of how much has changed. That's true. Right now, Beijing is sort of feels again where it was in May, sort of on the on the verge of lockdown. But you know, there's there was a big marathon in Chengdu just over the weekend, and 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 people are watching the World Cup. So it's it's very different picture depending on where you are in the country at any one time and and uh the next few months are certainly going to be interesting both from a from a covid perspective but also just everything else and of course you know uh how the sports industry tries to fit into that as we go into 2023 this entire run of the show mark has been a document about where where sports has gone over the last year you know i think you know when we started off uh there was definitely some, some things going on and and there was some um optimism i think about what might happen how, how do you feel now about what might happen over the next year honestly if you'd asked me yesterday i would have given you a very yeah, different answer yesterday was bleak like the air was just yep. terrible and it was compounded by some you know moisture in the air it was just it was just white outside the windows today it's a beautiful day i yep. feel a lot more, just a lot more upbeat uh, but seriously yep. um you know i i do I am. I'm. I'm an eternal optimist. I have to say. Um, you are. You are. It, it's. It, you know. I was last night. It was the opening game of the World Cup, and of course, China's not in it. China hasn't been in it except that one time, 2002, that everyone knows. Uh, but people get into the World Cup here. The game kicked off at midnight local time. Uh, there's going to be some uh, worse kickoffs than that as the yes, the next are. next few weeks. Uh, but a lot of people were posting and commenting and really enjoying it. I saw some uh, pretty funny videos. There's one where a match between 
China and Argentina has been edited together. They've taken uh, footage from <laughs> from real games, and this is presented as the World Cup final. Um, and I tell you, it is a ding dong battle. China manages to come out on top three no two, and they win oh, the wow. World Cup. Hike. So you heard, <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> China might not be in the World Cup yet. Yeah. In this virtual reality. I, I, I suppose it's it's not exactly a deep fake video, but uh, <laughs> I was gonna say I mean it could it, this could happen in the world of deep fakes, you know. But yeah, and and, and on today's Twitter, you never know; people might believe it. So there was we'll another see. one where um, China played the Aussies, but the Aussies uh, this was an animated video. The Aussies were represented by a bunch of kangaroos in uh, in Australia football jerseys. So that was uh, also entertaining. But it shows that people are into this. This is the hot trend. You know, there's a lot of ads around it there's a lot of chinese sponsors of course we talked about that last time with right. with feng tao um so there's still a lot of chinese presence around this world cup even if not an actual team did you did you watch the game yesterday i did yeah yeah uh it was i mean it was i think a lot of people have mixed feelings about this world cup um i don't think i'm generalizing too much um you know from an asian football perspective it would be great to have Qatar do well and sort of represent the region. Um, but again, from a wider, uh, all the narratives around the World Cup, I think a lot of people are, are hoping that uh, Qatar doesn't do very well. They certainly don't you sort of want to support the country anymore that it's already been so supported with, with the obvious themes of the massive corruption behind them winning the bid in the first place. Um, the billions and billions of dollars of erecting these stadia in the middle of basically a desert that are not really going to be used apart from next year's Asian Cup, but that's another story. And and you know the 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 we don't know how many, but all the workers, the potentially thousands of workers who have died, whether it was connected to the World Cup or on on other jobs, you know the 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 migrant workers from Southeast Asia during during the last decade that this World Cup has been in uh, in process. So a lot of sort of conflicting narratives, I think, there for a lot of people. Um, but again. From an Asian football perspective, we'd kind of want Qatar to do well, but honestly, they weren't that great. Lost to uh, That's what I've heard. It yeah, could they have were been, shockingly bad. It with could have fans been. streaming out after the, uh, the well, time, I guess. Were they streaming out or were they just not real fans? That, I mean, that's the other issue. Like, at, at least when China has had sort of staged fans for its sporting events, at least they stayed to the end. Mm-hmm. I will give them that. And, and honestly, if it, if it was a World Cup here in China, fans wouldn't be a problem. Um, you know, we're talking about some of the, I remember 2008 Olympics, there were, there were stories about fans being sort of, you know, bust in to, to fill the seats. But again, uh, they were sort of on the fringes of, of, of stuff there. But yeah, it was pretty bad uh, second half um, with a lot of uh, a lot of empty seats. Yeah, I, I didn't, I have to say, I, did, I didn't actually watch the match. It just, it just wasn't that compelling. Past your bedtime, huh? It, it, it really, I, listen, it was past my bedtime. Hours past your bedtime. It really was. Hours and hours and hours past my bedtime. I don't know what I'm going to deal with. Uh, well, do one, one there one. are a couple of 6 p.m. kickoffs. So oh. this only this week. So you should yeah. be okay for those. But yes. the 9 o'clock's probably... The 9 o'clock ones getting, are going to... Yeah, yeah, it's, it's getting, getting late. And then midnight. Yeah. And then 3 a.m. Well, you I can mean, maybe I, get up early for yeah, the threes. I, you know what? I probably will get up early <laughs> for those 3 a.m. <laughs> matches this is a strategy no i mean the way you, you can watch it though in china i mean everyone has those well almost everybody i know has those like sort of semi-legal white boxes yeah. on their tvs and that sort of streams not very well but it streams games but it's it's streaming um for free on the migu app which is owned by china mobile so i yeah. mean it's it's fantastic you can just get that and it's also on cctv5 which yeah. you can watch online too yeah uh, all for free so 
that's where I watched some. I was kind of flicking back between the different coverages. Just I always like to compare who's doing what. Yeah. All right. Well, well let's go. Let's move on then to um, other stories that we're looking at. John Wheelie, somebody we followed over the course of this podcast. She uh, had a big win just this past weekend. That's right. Um, and it, impressively, she so she regains the the, the UFC strawweight uh, title that she had held uh, a, a little while ago and then uh, um, lost. But but what was really impressive is last time she was in Shenzhen, she was in China with the home fans. This was Madison Square Garden. And not only was she dominant uh, in her winning performance, but the crowd really seemed to, to back it. Like, it was hard to get a sense of exactly who was there, um, whether it was a lot of uh, overseas Chinese supporting her. But yeah, she, uh, she was getting a lot of support, which was really good to see. Um, but it's uh, certainly exciting times. There's some other fighters in the UFC, but... Um, uh, yeah, she was very, very good. And, and I think uh, everyone watching would have been impressed. It was a pretty quick performance as well. Um, so, yeah, it's certainly a good news. She she talked about, um, you know, she wanted a billion pay-per-view fans in China. Like, you know, some of the stats, the, the usual stuff about, oh, there's hundreds of millions of people watching and, and how there's, you know, trillions of dollars in revenue. Uh, no, but <laughs> yeah. but look, yeah. going from strength to strength, um, she's now becoming established as a legit Chinese star on the international stage because this is you know UFC is fully international um her she she can she does interviews largely in Chinese but she can still do it's sort of a little bit in um in English which I think is it, it's just you know I, I mentioned this because it's a way of of her connecting with fans who are outside of China sure um you know she she becomes just a little bit more real um she she comes across very well I think uh, she's pretty humble in in uh, she's gracious in defeat, humble in victory. So um, yeah, there's UFC uh, where you've always got a bit of spice before the fights where people are you know um, you know that that's part of the hype uh, in the in the in an M- MMA in the boxing uh, sphere. But um, good to see her doing well. I, I'm I'm excited for her next fight. Mark, the F1 season just finished. Uh, I think this last weekend, uh, Joe Kwan Yu finished in 18th position out of around 20 or so drivers how would you assess his season well honestly if, if you focus on the 18th it sounds disappointing you know there are 20 full-time drivers on the grid even though there's a couple of uh, uh additional drivers who who drove a race uh, here and there and so that means he only beat two of them uh, i i feel that he did a lot better than that um there was kind of a funny uh <laughs> there was a funny uh tweet from formula one yesterday where they they said announcing our rookie of the year jog on you which is obviously great but he was the only rookie oh. so, <laughs> which 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 they pointed out but honestly yeah. you know he was in the points three times um that you know so that's a top 10 finish on three occasions throughout the season uh it, the reason he didn't get too many points is he, is he you know when he two of those positions were were uh, two of those finishes were 10th so you only get one point so he didn't really accrue too many points but he was consistent he had a really good stretch of the season where he uh, outperformed uh, his teammate Valtteri Bottas, um, I think about six races in a row, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and he was consistently kind of around that, you know, 13th, 14th position, which feels a little bit more like a fair assessment. F1 drivers are limited by their car. Exactly. And, you know, he, yeah. he did very well considering he's a steep learning curve as, as, a, as a rookie driver in the sport. He's crucially got the seat for next year, and that was a big question mark coming into the first season. So he's definitely done enough uh, to keep everyone happy. He's just going to want to build on this. 
right? 18th, you know, three times in the points. He, he needs to try to go on from that. Uh, again, if the car is not performing, there's only so much he can do. But it, it's about squeezing every last drop out of the car that you're given. And people recognize that around the grid. And, and who knows, maybe he goes on to, to a better team in the future. But he needs to just keep building on this. You mentioned the car a couple of times, Mark. Somebody like me who doesn't really follow Formula One very closely. Okay, so as a driver, I can see how you might be able to improve every year. How do you improve a car? How does that work? Well, they all have, um, uh, you know, the, there's there's quite strict regulations now. And, and actually, that was one of the, the topics uh, this year going back into last season in terms of budget uh, um, caps and, and restrictions on how much you can spend, and that is to try to bring in a, some sort of le- uh, some sort of parity across the teams. Otherwise, the rich teams just get further and further ahead, and it's very very hard for the smaller teams on the grid to compete. Uh, but the reality is that you know the bigger brands, Ferrari's always going to be up there. Red Bull, uh, Mercedes, you know those have been the top teams uh, of the last well decade or more. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're not going to get massive changes uh, for, from year to year. Uh, but I think everyone recognizes the, the, there's a lot of respect um, and, and drivers pay attention to what other drivers are doing. And they know that if someone's finished uh, 12th in the race, that could have been the performance of the day, given, the car, given where they started, perhaps given the car that they're driving. Uh, a lot of it is how well you do versus your own teammates, because that's the only real benchmark um, you know, uh, versus, you know, you take take the car out of it. Uh, Bottas is obviously very, very good. He was a, a teammate to Lewis Hamilton uh, for a number of years. So he's been at the top end of the grid and he knows what he's doing. Uh, Joe Guanyu has not let himself down at all this this season, even though he certainly had a few disappointing retirements earlier yes. in the year where, where, uh, where, the car, where the car sort of didn't get to the finish line. But all in all, I think he's got to be very happy. But still a lot of work to do if he's going to continue to, uh, to, to build in F1. Just for the audience, uh, Bottas finished in 10th place with 49 points. And uh, Joe Guan Yu finished in 18th place with 6 points. So, you know, definitely some work to do uh, for next year. But yep. it's great to know that he gets a seat. Now, just on F1, and we've talked about this before, uh, Technically speaking, if you look at the calendar for next year, uh, there will be an, uh, an April date, which shows the Shanghai Grand Prix, which would be Joe Guan Yu's home race, which would be fantastic for all of us here and for motorsport in China, for Joe Guan Yu. It would be amazing, but it won't happen. Nope. <laughs> don't, don't hold your breath. <laughs> so uh, I've had people ask me actually over the last few weeks, but it's still on the calendar. Well, it, it's as from what I can tell, it's an open secret already in F1 that it that it's um uh, that it won't happen, uh, but they haven't officially announced that yet. But the the contract for that race uh, was extended uh, over the last twelve months, so at some point there will be a, a race in Shanghai. We we expect. I think it's fair to say it's just not clear which year they'll be able to come back. Speaking of I was gonna scheduling, s- yeah, I was going <laughs> to say. Speaking of other events that aren't going to happen. The WTA just released their 2023 calendar and China's not on it. That can't be a surprise. That's not a surprise at all. It's not a surprise. I think they've covered their bases by saying we're still not uh, confirming the back end of the season. So if something dramatic happens, uh, it, there is still a chance that the China swing could uh, could be uh, squeezed in there. And of course, the, the WTA finals, the, the season-ending uh, uh, um, tournament 
in Shenzhen is where it's supposed to be for a decade, of course, and we've only had it once there. Uh, we've talked about this before, so I won't go over it at length, but yeah. basically there's the two obstacles, uh, both of which are huge, uh, first of which is COVID, uh, and I just can't see people coming in next year with no quarantine and moving around the country and all that sort of stuff. And then, of course, the other one is is Peng Shui. And the, the Women's Tennis Association, the WTA, has said repeatedly again and again uh, that they will not come back to China unless this has been resolved to their satisfaction. Do we know what that means? Uh, they're not going to get an investigation from the Chinese side that, that, that's you know, worth worth calling an investigation. Um, but w- how can they resolve it? Uh, or are they basically gonna, just going to hold firm uh, and, and uh, stay out of China? I think we'll see some sort of resolution, but COVID uh, means that it won't be happening anytime soon. So there's no real incentive for them to try and hash something out, whatever that solution might be, until they know that they can come back, physically come back. Um, so maybe 2024, but I'm thinking maybe more likely 2025. That seems right to me. 24, 25. But things things happen so quickly in China yeah. um, that you just you just don't know. It could it. There's an outside chance. I I said I'd eat my hat if um. You did. Uh, uh, I think it was your England cap. If there's an F1 race in April next year, I'm still sticking with that. Yeah. I think there is a very slim chance of tennis happening at the back end of next year in China. Some tennis. I don't expect it. I think 2025 is probably um, more likely, but you just don't know. It could be further out than that if things, you know, yeah, there's there's too many variables. There really are, which is which is what makes it what makes it so interesting. Yeah, yeah, and I've, I, I honestly, how do you even project into the future now? It, I well, every, it. everyone tries to do it, yeah. and so far, everyone's been wrong. Well, somebody who is rarely wrong, especially about sports in China, is you mark and i got a chance to talk to you about your book uh, a few months ago and here is that interview i am with someone who is the definition of a hard get and i've been trying to get some time with him for months and finally (laughs) we made it happen he is the author of sporting superpower an insider's view of china's quest to be the best ladies and gentlemen it is Mark Dreyer. Mark, hi. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me on the show, Hi. It's a, it's a real privilege and an, <laughs> and an honor. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm really, I, this is amazing. So, Mark, you know, we've, we've actually been planning to do this for a long time. Um, yeah. You know, talk about your book and, and focus in on, on some of the stories in it and just reflect because it's been, it's been you know, about six months, six or seven months since, since, you, uh, since you published it. So, you know, I'm, I'm excited that we get to talk about it right now. Um, the e version of the book came out just at the beginning of the year, uh, before the Olympics. You've given a lot of interviews and, and a lot of talks surrounding the book around the world, right? Well, I mean, obviously remotely, but yes. Uh, I mean, over the Olympic period, I had did more than about a hundred interviews on on various different topics, whether it was book related, and you know, there was a lot of politics with the with the Olympics and the opening ceremony and that side of things. There was, of course, all of the Eileen Good. There was China's performance and and. Uh, development of winter sports. Um, and then in and around that, there's always questions uh, here and there about Chinese football and some of the other sports. So um, yeah, lots to, uh, certainly the Olympic period was uh, was kind of like a peak a peak time. And, and uh, you know, it was it was times, of course, to, to coincide with that. What is the book and, and what were you trying to do with it? 
Well, I guess there's a couple of things. Uh, I mean, it, it's it's partly a personal journey. You know, I came here at the end of 2007 uh, with a view to, to covering the uh, the 2008 Beijing Olympics, the first Olympic Games here. I'd been a sports journalist for the uh, best part of a decade previous to moving to China, but I'd never been able to work on the Olympics. Uh, I, I'd worked for Sky in the UK. Of course, the BBC has the rights for people familiar with the broadcast uh, division there. Um, and but I'd always watched the Olympics as a kid. I'd always loved the Olympics. Uh, I know that, you know, increasingly it, it, there's, there's discussion about uh, relevancy and, and whether they should be scrapped and the politics and so on. But as a pure sporting occasion, you know, it, my, my grandfather took my father to, to the 1960 Rome Olympics. And I remember hearing stories about that and thinking, I just really want to go to Olympics. You know, 1976, half my family's in Montreal for that as well. So there are all these stories that I'd heard about. I'd been to so many other events, but not the Olympics. So it was a huge attraction. It was the reason I came to China um, and then ended up staying after, uh, you know, everyone else that had kind of uh, flown in for the games decided to pack up and leave town. I kind of ended up staying with my wife and, and you know, we, we, we kind of fully settled into Chinese life. And, and then suddenly, 15 years later, 14 years later, there was another Olympics. And, and I had a bit of a... Um, had a bit of an opportunity. It was it was COVID related travel. I couldn't actually get my family back into China, so I knew that I had a period of about six months where I was going to be by myself in Beijing. And I thought, look, the Olympics are coming up. I need to keep myself busy. Someone, uh, a, a good friend of mine, actually Celia Hatton, who uh, is a BBC journalist, and and we were talking probably a couple of years ago, and she said, oh, you should write a book. And I brushed it off, and I was like, yeah, yeah. She's, I mean, it's a bit of a cliche, right? You're kind of like a journalist. The journalist writes the book. I was like, no, come on, I don't need to write the book. No, do it, do it. She kind of pushed me a bit. And, but I, it planted the seed. It planted the seed. And I, and I just thought, you know what? I, I've got a chance now or never. I've got this window of opportunity. I've got to get it done before the Olympics. So I know it's not going to drift on and on and on uh, because there is a very clear deadline. And so I had this time and I, I just thought, yeah, right, let's do it. So, sorry, that was a longer, that was... <laughs> <laughs> longer answer. I'm, I'm, I'm used to it, Mark. That's okay. That's okay. When you started thinking about the book, when you were starting to write the book, did you have like a really clear idea of who that audience was going to be? Like, or who did you think would be interested in this book? I've always been very wary of, you know, being the white guy in China telling Chinese people about China, right? And so my audience was most definitely for people outside of China. Uh, is obviously an English language book, um, and that gives you a little bit more flexibility. People who publish in Chinese, if you are going to publish in Chinese, particularly on the mainland, um, then it, it basically has to be a slightly different, uh, you know, a, a different version. It has to be censored. It has to be, you know, go through all those channels. So I didn't want to have to do that, at least not initially. You know, who knows what happens in the future. But, you know, you, you have a little bit more freedom to write in English. Um, and so, yes, it was it was trying to digest the Chinese sports market, but more than just the Chinese sports market. You know, I look at China through this sort of sports industry prism, but I think there were so many parallels that that you could draw between just China in general. You know, again, a cliche, but if you kind of understand the sports industry and some of the tales from inside there, it's it's so relevant to so many different walks of life. And and really it, it was politics and business and sports, and often, as you, you see from the book, often sports is a distant third when it comes to those three strands. And that's what I have found fascinating over the years. So I, I started off basically thinking, well, I'll do a chapter on soccer, and I'll do a chapter on tennis, and I'll do a chapter on the Olympics. And then I thought, 
you know what, it's not going to quite work like that. And so I did it chronologically, basically from one Olympics to the next. So my timeline in China. So it's it's partly, you know, my personal stories, the people that I've met from within the sports industry, some sports stars, um, you know, my analysis as well. I didn't just want to be like, here's what happened. Like, I didn't really feel there was much value to that. And I, and I had a couple of people who had who was speaking to us writing the book, you know, who'd previously written a book and said, you know, put your voice into it. People want to hear what you have to say. And and again, whether I was being sort of faux humble or sort of a bit British, like, well, who am I to to, to tell people about this? I was like, yeah, but if, if you're not putting any opinion into it, then again, what's the point? People can look up on the internet what happened in 2009. <laughs> yeah, I, no, I, I, I take your point totally. And I think that adds a lot of value to the book and it makes it way more interesting than it could have been. I mean, but it, but that opinion piece actually is what I wanted to ask you about because you do you do put some opinions out there about you know athletes, about you know events that happened. What has been the uh, athlete's response to your book? Well, there was one uh, uh, women's ice hockey player that who's featured and uh, at quite uh, a decent length, I should say, in the book. Um, Melanie Jew, who's a, a Chinese Canadian, she's she grown up on the, the west coast of Canada, and had been playing for Team China for four years. And you know, of all the interviews I did for the book, it was. I, I think just reading that chapter back to me, it still sort of makes it still kind of, you know, makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. Like it was just I really felt I was getting a, a, an honest appraisal of the experience that she had. You know, she's not she's not Lena. She's not Stefan Marbury. You know, she's not a known athlete in the same way, but she was just so honest. she was she was somewhere in, you know, there's a line I put, you know, she, she's basically on her own in some Russian uh, isolating in some Russian hotel room, and and some and somehow this this was what her Chinese dream had become. And at the time that I spoke to her, it looked like the heritage players were not going to be included in the Olympic team. And so she was sort of wrestling with that moment of I've spent four years building up to the Olympics and putting my heart and soul into this, and and really, you know, she speaks Chinese, she feels Chinese. Yes, she's Canadian as well, but you know you know, she really embraced and, and did a lot of outreach with the kids. And it was nothing better uh, for her than seeing some of the Chinese kids, you know, take up the sport of hockey and, 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 and the time that she was able to spend with them. But she was sort of wrestling with it. And, and I said, you know, what happens? What happens? You know, what, what, if, when it doesn't happen? And she says, you know, I, I've thought about this a lot. And um, she still had a great four years. No one can take that away from her. She's she's had four years that she wouldn't otherwise have had and, and tr- some tremendous experience. Now, what doesn't get told in the book, because it kind of is after the, after the timeline finished, is the fact that, of course, the Heritage players did get included, but she got cut. And it was it was very political. Um, you know, the best that I could could figure out is is the new coach who was brought in um, just a few months ago didn't like her, didn't like her strong personality, um, and you know she she's someone who speaks her mind, and that did not really mesh with with the coach's opinion. She clearly was good enough to play um, in the squad. She clearly was was probably the best heritage ambassador. Uh, very very good friends with with Kim Newell. Who, uh, who who we've also had on on the show the the goalie uh, similar in some ways you know they they're very good friends in terms of like embracing the Chinese heritage uh, uh, learning the language and so on so um, a real disappointment I think I think she went through some tough times we've we've sort of joked we've kept in touch um, 
you know, she sort of said, well, could, could I help her write her, uh, her, her autobiography. So, so, so there might be another project in the future. However, there is nice. there is a happy ending to this story because she has since, uh, from the Olympics, she's been brought into the coaching setup of the Chinese women's national team. And she is now coaching in the women's leagues back home in Canada, but she's also got a role on the, on the Canadian side. So not playing. Uh, she didn't get to, to feature in the Olympics as she'd initially hoped, but uh, she is still very much involved in Chinese hockey as well as Canadian hockey, hockey and uh, and just uh, you know building that bridge. Did did she reach out to you after after the book came out? Uh, we kind of just just uh, kept in touch on and off because uh, I wanted to know if if uh, she was she was one of the people who was telling me what had been going on with the camp and all this sort of stuff. Uh, so I wanted to know like who was being contacted and when and and. Um, you know, what was the timeline? Were they talking with the with the, the male players as well and all this sort of stuff? So um, I, I I'd, uh, showed her the chapter that I wrote that featured her and she said she 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 liked it. So so that was that was uh, that was bit, uh, you, you always you're never quite sure what people are using. You know, oh, maybe she's going to be like, oh, I didn't say that. Or, you know, but you know, I loved it. So so that was nice. Yeah, that's well, that's, did anyone not like what you wrote? Uh, so so far, if they if they don't, uh, if they didn't, <laughs> they haven't told me. <laughs> Dryer China, D R E Y E R China. <laughs> I think I I think I was I think I was pretty fair. I don't think I uh, sort of misrepresented anyone or. Um, and again, you know, uh, it's personal opinions. So so um, sometimes you know you want people to disagree. Otherwise, it's it's kind of boring. I have an idea about what the answer to this question is because you know I've been, I've been working with you on this podcast for for quite a you know better part of a year now, Mark. Uh, but generally, how easy is it for you to reach out to athletes in China to to talk to them to interview them? That's a great question. I, you know, if you're talking about um, you know the 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 sort of the state system for for the Olympic athletes, it's basically impossible. And you know, this was no surprise to me. Um, you know, I'd faced it in 2008, trying to get in touch with, with people ahead of the, uh, uh, with, uh, Olympic athletes ahead of that, even though there wasn't as much interest in, in, um, you know, the, the Chinese athletes globally at that time. Um, there's just so many different parties. There's the Chinese Olympic committee. There's, there's the, the, the different club teams that people are representing. There's the provincial teams, there's the national federations, um, and so you kind of get passed between all these different ones. Uh, and so that was tricky. I knew I had a slightly better chance ahead of 2022 because increasingly China has brought in a number of foreign coaches and they're kind of a way in um, because they understand that I'm not trying to do something nefarious. I'm not trying to, re you know, reveal state secrets. I'm not, you know, someone who's going to, you know, uh, unearth something like com uh, that, that doesn't want to be unearthed. You know, I'm just basically trying to profile an athlete or, or get some information um, and so on. So I worked with a lot of people in the system who were, you know, had more of an international, shall we say, outlook in terms of how media should work and, and you know, how, how this could be good for the team instead of, you know, well, well any kind of media interview is, is going to distract them six months before, uh, before, <laughs> before an, an Olympics. Um, so that was, that, that, that was an improvement. No, I'm laughing because, I mean, have we ever reached out to any athlete in China through, like, quote-unquote, official channels? It just doesn't work that way. I mean, you can reach out, but you just don't get anywhere. That's the thing. And so you end up yeah. not trying. So yeah. let me give you an example. Um, I was actually helping to uh, compile uh, for, for the, the broadcast wing of, of um, 
uh, of the IOC. It's called the uh, OBS, Olympic Broadcast Service, and and I'd worked with with you know people at, at previous Olympics from from Beijing uh, two thousand eight to Vancouver uh, and London in twenty ten and twenty twelve, and so I was ahead of the Olympics, hope uh, helping them to compile the biographies of the Chinese athletes. Uh, there were about 150 Chinese athletes, almost no information on the vast majority of them online, whether in English or in Chinese. And of course, you go through the official channels and they think, what on earth is this for? You know, And of course, what it's for is for the, for the broadcasters around the world to say something other than this person's name is so-and-so, they're 27, I can't tell you anything about them, uh, but oh, look, they've just won a race. Um, or not, you know, there's, it's, it's the color stuff. It's how did they first get involved in the sport? You know, what, what are their, what are their burning ambitions? Who's their, who's their hero? Um, you know, whether sports related or not, you know, that, that sort of stuff, just interesting stuff help, help to promote. Um, I managed through a few connections to get a questionnaire that I had developed, which would gather all this information. I managed to get it into one of the, 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 the team's WeChat groups. <laughs> and I thought, finally, finally, I, I, I talked a player into basically posting it and sort of telling his teammates, hey, just fill this in. This will be this will be helpful. I think minutes after he dropped it in, he got his ra- <laughs> he got his his wrist slapped from the from the team manager, who's also in the group saying, What the hell are you doing? What is this? No one answered this, you know, have them. And then of course you go through the official channels and back to, you know, and again, a months and months and months of nothing. And then finally managed to get some people high up at the IOC to basically convince some people high up at the Chinese Olympic Committee that this is actually a good thing. So a week before the Olympics, suddenly overnight, uh, 120 athletes filled in a survey, a questionnaire. I mean, it was it was remarkable. I'd spent months and months and months trying to basically piece together here and there. Uh, I'm just getting knocked back in every different way, possible way. <laughs> and I think, you know, it's no surprise, but it's, it's still so frustrating. In that same vein, though, Mark, like, you know, you spoke earlier about, uh, you know, the, the hockey player who was you know, very open with you and then, you know, gave you, you know, very generous with her stories, you know, and every once in a while, you know, you talk to somebody here who just, you know, just doesn't care. Like we, we spoke to uh, Rudy Ying, for example, who were the people that were just completely tight lipped with you? Just just shut down, did not want to give you absolutely anything at all. That's a good question. I, mean, I didn't really encounter anyone like that i think if they had been they just wouldn't have engaged in the first place um but i think once people agree to speak most people like to talk about what they're doing um and they're interested in, and it's sports you know we're not again over the years everything has become more politicized and political um and i think that is a reflection of, of chinese society in general one of the parallels you can kind of draw but Again, it's it's sports. It's not you know it's not highly sensitive stuff about the inner workings of of you know the the state council. Like it's not that sensitive. Certainly relevant, uh, you know, uh, relative to 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 other areas of life in China. So I think people are generally happy to talk, um, and you get a sense from 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 knowing people beforehand before you kind of set up the interview what they're going to be like and and whether they're referred. Like you know, you have an idea of what you're going to get. Or, or what level of, of, of access and, and openness you're going to face beforehand, I think. What are the stories that you'd wish you kept in the book that maybe just didn't make the cut? That's a great question. Uh, you know, I, I remember from early on in the process speaking to a friend who'd previously written a book and, and, and advice that he would, had been given from his editor was, you know, 
you never finish a book. You just stop writing. And it's so true. It's so true. It's, it sounds a weird thing to say. You think, well, you kind of map it all out. And then, but there's always more that you can write. And, and when I'm pulling anecdotes from, from across the years, you know, there's, there's of course more, there's more people that you've met. There's more interviews you could do. Uh, there's more sports that I could have covered. I, I, I barely touched on, on MMA and you've got, you know, Jiang Wei Li, probably one of the most high profile athletes uh, in China today. So, you know, that, that's sort of a, an omission, uh, if you will. Um, of course, you have to stop at some point, and I, and I stopped kind of just at the end of 2021 in the timeline. And then, of course, here we are, yeah, um, you know, six months later, and you think, well, there's so much happening in the Olympics. Maybe I, you know, I've got to do another chapter. And, you know, you talk about the Peng Shui stuff. That was just beginning um, when, I, when I was wrapping up, and I thought, well, this is not over yet. It's far, you know, this could change overnight. Uh, then you've got all the Olympics. You've got Eileen Gu. You know that that potentially is a whole other book right there. So, so, yep. so oh, again, hundred percent. Oh, totally. <laughs> Somebody's going to write a book about that. This may as well be you. Come on. <laughs> so you know, I think is that I I kind of had when I was getting closer to to D Day, if you will. I was like, you know what? I can't put everything in. I have to just knock out some of these anecdotes. Um, there was one where I'd met um, uh, Li Hao Tong, who's a who's a golfer, who who more recently had kind of struggled, but he, you know, a, a few years ago, he, uh, he went head to head with Rory McIlroy, uh, down the stretch in Dubai and came out on top, you know, won a tournament and he was, you know, destined for the top. And, and I met him the day that he signed with, with Nike when he was still 17 and we had a great chat and kind of had some funny stories from that, you know, that just, just lots of things that I could have put in that didn't, uh, but didn't. And, you know, of course, there's always an, you know, I had a stack of, of other interviews I wanted to do to get more context and, and sort of, uh, you know, round out my own analysis on various things. But, um, you know, I, I, I again, I, I had to stop at some point. Did I finish it? No, but, uh, you know, I, I stopped and, and put out what I had. <laughs> well, you want to leave the audience wanting more. <laughs> That's right? a nice and way of putting it. This is what you did, I think. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, right now, in the middle of 2022, China still seems to be focused on becoming a sporting superpower. Uh, we saw that at the Olympics in Tokyo. We saw that at the Olympics in Beijing. We see that in a lot of, in a myriad of other sports as well, you know, with the investment in money and the investment in attention and in all these events. What would it take for that focus to decline? Well, I was going to turn it around and say, you know, what could get them back on track? And I was saying, well, uh, you know, opening up of the borders and, and moving on from, from COVID zero. And, and, you know, right now there's such a, you know, we've got domestic sporting events like the Chinese Super League, but it's in a bubble. No one can watch it. And, you know, there's just less and less interest. We talked about tennis recently on the show and the Shanghai Masters have these big dreams of expanding in China. Um, Formula One, of course, with, with Joe Guanyu, they need desperately to get back to Shanghai. They could have a massive, massive event. Uh, we've talked about other Formula One races, but nothing is happening right now. The Asian Cup, of course, is, is gone. So, you know, that that's, I guess, the, the temporary frustration. But the Chinese market is is not going away. You know, it's only getting more and more difficult politically you know, and I talk in the book at great length about the whole NBA thing that, that um, we've talked on the show about, about the WTA with Peng Shui and, and related issues. Um, that is for sure scaring people off, but there will always be people who want to engage um, with and in China. Uh, they're just having to, to, to change the way that they maybe think about that. 
Um, not everyone is is is. You know, I, I saw a headline the other day about um, you know the Saudi, Saudi Saudi Arabia is is trying to attract a big tennis event to um, uh, to, to, to 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 Saudi Arabia, and you know I thought, well, this is perfect for the ATP. They're, they'll they'll just take the money. Uh, the WTA, on the on the on the other hand, you would think they would probably avoid it like the plague, but again, things change and and executives change and and organizations and and uh, you know strategical thinking as well. So so things do change over the years. At the moment, people have kind of been backing away from China a little bit, um, but it, it's still just the biggest market in the world with the biggest potential because of the size. And so that's not going to go away. You you end the book with, with Suli Jia, the Olympic sailor we spoke to on the show. Um, you name-checked me. Thank you. Really nice. uh, you, you. You wrote... You wrote with pioneers like Lena and flag bearers like Sulija, recognizing the problem, and we'll talk about the problem in a second, and pushing for change, it gives me hope that China's sporting future may be brighter. Um, and it's been six months since you wrote that, and, and a lot has changed, and a lot has happened since then. Do you still have hope that China's sporting future may be brighter? I always have hope. Um, I'm an optimist, I think, at, at heart. Um, I felt that, you know, the more you get into stuff, it, it's very easy to get frustrated by, by look at Chinese football, you know, and, and um, for all the investment that they have. And, and, and you could make an argument for, for almost any sport, you know, the budgets are basically unlimited in China um, if they want it to be. And for all that investment and for all that, that, that um, you know, ambition, it's just mismanagement at so many different levels. You know, the Chinese football team should be so much better. They should be in the World Cup. You know, global football needs a strong Chinese team. Like, how much better would it be if, if the biggest countries in the world were all kind of competitive? Like, at that level. Forget about the politics, you know. Um, and so I'm always optimistic that that, that things can improve. Um, you look at someone like Lina. You know, she was just such a perfect ambassador for China in every level, right? Sporting, um, just as a Chinese person, like, like just the, the, again, it's, it's, it's very, it's, um, it's, 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 I'm kind of struggling to, to exactly phrase it here because the issue that you have with someone like this is as soon as someone gets too popular, then the state wants to kind of rein you in. And then you have to do the bidding of the state to a certain extent. And then that, makes you less accessible um, compared with the person that you were originally, the one that made you famous in the first place. And so, of course, there is that that friction, which is counterproductive. And it's really frustrating when you have someone like Lina, who is just such a great, as I said, ambassador for China, that she couldn't just be free to kind of do her thing. You know, we've hardly, hardly heard from her over the last few years. And that's fine. You know, she's obviously not in a position to be speaking about Peng Shui and her thoughts on that, you know, and, and, Again, people it's will... It's the first thing anyone would t- ask her yeah. about. If she ever kind of popped up, yeah, but, without a doubt. But like, you know, we need people being more outspoken about the system, the sporting system, these things that shouldn't be that sensitive, you know. Um, tennis is 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 somewhere that is working. We, we've talked about, um, you know, Zhang Qinwen. She's in the top 50. She's 19 years old. Like, she could very easily be the next Lina. Uh, she seems like a great personality, a great character. Uh, again, China needs... Uh, people like this, but many more of them uh, across all sports. Joe Guan Yu, a fantastic ambassador. Um, 
It's not about speaking English, but it certainly helps make you more globally accessible. Um, it's soft power, whether you like it or not. It just It's just the way that people think of a country and its people. And um, China has this thing where, where it, it, the, the government deliberately tries to make the government, the country and the people all one and the same. Uh, and other countries deliberately try to counter this by saying, well, we love the Chinese people and we love the country of China, but we have issues with the government. Uh, and so there is this there is this sort of sort of friction. And unfortunately, because of the lack of travel right now, you have the government doing certain things that is not reflecting well on the country as a whole overseas. And so people are like, oh, I don't like China, this huge, big block. And there's just zero nuance whatsoever. But they don't know as many Chinese people as, as, as they used to because there's no interaction. There's no people to people. And so people like Zhou Guanyu, people like Jiang Qingwen have an outsized influence in changing the narrative for the better, as far as I'm concerned. Um, you know, are, are, there, are they apologists for the government? No, they're not. And, and, and some people would disagree with me on that. But, um, you know, they're just, they're just everyday people. And, and, but I, I think that, that there should be more focus on, on some of those positives. Like I said, I'm an optimist. Um, I'm an, at some level... I guess, a cheerleader for the Chinese sports industry. But I also, you know, I call it how I see it. And, and there's a lot of shit to call. You're pretty critical <laughs> as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I I'm not trying to be critical for the that. sake of it. But, um, you know, I, I, spoke to, I spoke to someone who um, I'm hoping to get on the show uh, in, uh, in the not too distant future. And he said to me, he said, look, I consider myself a friend of China, but friends speak up at least they do where i come from and and i thought that was a great line you know you have to you have to say look things aren't working if things are just really like uh, you know upside down you have to call it out um otherwise what's the point you know then you become part of the problem so again i didn't want to write that that china bashing book i wanted to try to focus on some of the positives such as lena and i think i've done that and and there's some you know it's a roller coaster it's the ups and the downs um but uh, it's 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 a it's a nuanced uh, you know there's a, there's a lot to unpack there. You could write you could write the the state media everything's great book. You could write the everything shit book. You know, and there's everything in between. So people can make of it what they will. <laughs> I, I do want to wrap, wrap this up, but you you talked earlier about how there's just nothing like this in in Chinese. Have you ever thought about translating this into Chinese? I honestly, I haven't got there yet. Uh, I, a number of the, my, you know, Chinese friends and, and, and colleagues from the sports industry that I'd spoken to that kind of encouraged me to write the book as well. And, and again, that, that definitely spurred me on because I said before, you know, I don't want to be, you know, the foreigner in China telling Chinese about, uh, you know, it was for a foreign audience. They said, well, you have a different perspective. You have a different viewpoint. You know, you can make those comparisons with, you know, I've worked in, in, in the UK, in the US, in the sports industries there. And, and obviously, I have a different lens. And I'm able to say things slightly differently. I think, you know, you do get that that freedom to, to say as a foreigner, things that Chinese people can't say, particularly, I think, today. And so they said, I think, I think Chinese people really like this. And I was like, well, okay, it's nice of you to say that. But you know, I, I have thought about it. Um, I don't know how much would need to be edited. And again, that that's a whole a whole different thought process. Like, do you even want to do the whole like self-censorship or the external censorship? Do you lose the essence of what you've written if it if it's a uh, you know a, a, a state at some level a state-approved book? You know, you know, what is the point? Um, just kind of say, well, here's the English and scan it with the WeChat translate. 
<laughs> it would be oh you know now that i think about it yeah it would open up so many different problems and my opportunities as well i guess but yeah pro- I, I guess I, I sort of see their problems what, what about a, what about an audiobook have you have you th- thought about that um again i it's it's probably next on the list the uh the the hard okay. the hard copy is is uh i'm is... not i'm not trying to add uh, yeah <laughs> i'm not trying to add work to you but but yeah so there is the it is coming out in, in a hard copy like what, what what's the story with that so the story is depending on when this airs it should be out around now um so, but yeah, then uh, perhaps an audiobook. If if people uh, if people really really like the sound of my voice um, more than just listening to the podcast every week, uh, hit me up and, and let me know if it's uh, <laughs> if if, uh, if an audio version's worth it. Um, where is it available right now, Mark? How can how can people find it? People can find it on Amazon. So uh, they can find the link from my my Twitter page. Uh, and websites as well. So those are the best places. I did think about uh, you know various different ways of of you know all books these days are printed in China, but then you've just got shipping and logistics. And with COVID, it just made it so much more difficult. And uh, you know you got the Amazon option where you can uh, print all around the world in their different subsidiaries. So uh, for now, that is the that is the best way. Uh, book number two. Um, you know, maybe I'll try something different for that one, but, uh, you know, <laughs> that's for another day. That was Mark Dreyer. You can check out his book, Sporting Superpower, now in paperback on Amazon.com. Mark, before we sign off, this is my last show producing the China Sports Insider Podcast. And there's two reasons for this. And you and I have talked about this. Um, Number one, like a lot of expats in China, I'm I'm leaving. Uh, my wife and I are leaving in a few weeks. And uh, my life after that, it's going to be pretty hectic. We're going to head over to the Philippines. Uh, we're going to get settled over there. And then we're going to be in the U.S. for a couple of months. There's going to be a lot of back and forth there. And <clears throat> another reason is that, you know, in my professional life, things are getting a lot busier with video work, editing work, writing and writing projects. And something had to give. And unfortunately... Uh, it was this podcast for me. Uh, this is the 50th episode, which is amazing. Uh, we've been doing this for over a year, and that's been great. I'm grateful that I get the chance to say goodbye. I've had fun. I've learned a lot. Uh, thank you for doing this with me. It's been it's been really, really great. Hi, it's been an honor and a privilege to, oh. to sit across from you, uh, sometimes in person, sometimes remotely, <laughs> yeah, no. for, the, for the last 50 shows. Uh, it's been a... It's been a ton of fun. Um, I'm not saying uh, a full goodbye. I think that when yes. you get settled, we'll uh, we'll have to do a, a, some 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 Asian-related sports episodes here and there. Maybe uh, have you on a, <laughs> a guest appearance. That'd be great. See what you can find. Uh, but yeah, it's been a, it's been a lot of fun, and thank you. And well, I'm looking forward to hearing what you have in store for the future. Mark. The China Sports Insider Podcast is host Mark Dreyer. He is the China Sports Insider. We are on the Seneca Podcast Network on thechinaproject.com. My name is Hag Bally and I edited this show. Thank you for listening.